For many, right now feels upside down, and uncertainty is constantly swirling. Normal is this windstorm ever shifting, and it doesn't look like circumstances will calm anytime soon. But what if the change that we need is not our setting, but our sight? Not the external, but the internal. Not our fears, but our focus. First Peter is a letter, a banner, a compass, infusing steel in the spines of people in hardship, anchoring us in the reality that hope lies ahead. Good morning, you guys happy to be here today? Oh, wow. All right. Well, then let's preach. Let's go. Hey, open your Bibles, First Peter. We, uh, if you don't know me, my name is Jason. I am the lead pastor here at Rise, and we are a church that is built upon the Word of God. Amen? Like, we believe that it is so timely in its truth, and it is timeless and it's truth. And so we come to the Word of God week after week. And so we're embarking on a seven-week journey uh, through the, the book of First Peter, and it's this letter. So I'm going to dive right in because the introduction to the letter gives the introduction to the message. So uh, if you have a Bible, grab it. If you don't have a Bible, grab one from around, around you, or you can follow along on the screen, whatever, whatever works for you. First Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Peter an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Okay, so this is who he's writing to. He's writing to what he labels the exiles of the dispersion. Now, what's an exile? An exile is somebody who has been kicked out of or removed from their home country, their homeland, their home culture, everything about it. It could be various political reasons. It could be a different monarch comes into play. But just imagine with me that you had this happen to you. All of a sudden, something happens, you commit a crime, or you know, a, a different power comes, and you, you are kicked out of the United States of America. Now, some of you guys are like, that doesn't sound terrible right now. Like, I, I'm, like what are my options? You know, Netherlands sounds wonderful, Canada, a little cold this time of year, but other than that, but, but, but actually, it would be devastating, right? Like, imagine trying to raise children or, or a family in a country where you don't speak the language. You don't have the same cultural values. You know nobody. You'd be isolated. The marks of somebody who is experiencing exile, they feel out of place. They don't have the same rights. They have all these limitations. They don't belong. They're disconnected from family and often alone, and they're vulnerable to persecution and attack. This is who he's writing to. Now, what's fascinating is, is most scholars and theologians would argue, um, based, off, based off of history and based off of the context of this passage, that these are not people who are literal exiles. These are people who are spiritual exiles. So they are Gentiles who said, I'm going to follow Jesus. And because I'm following Jesus, I am disconnected from the community and the culture around me. These are Christians, and as they follow Jesus, they're dispersed through these different regions, and they feel alone, they feel persecuted, and they are questioning if all of it is worth it. This is the context of the letter First Peter. Now, whenever I'm diving into a new book, I spend a lot of time in commentaries, okay? Commentaries are these books that theologians write, uh, explaining different passages or the context uh, of a book. And so it's really helpful 
in order to actually understand it. So I grabbed one and, uh, on First Peter, and I was reading through it, and it was explaining this idea of, of, of exiles, and it was talking about how they're, they're socially marginalized, okay? So, so they are a minority socially within their community. They're ostracized. They're made fun of. They're belittled for what they believe, and they suffer because of the stance of their faith. And so this commentary is writing this, and he says, he makes this next statement, and he says, so because of that, if we're honest, it's, this book, it's, it's almost virtually irrelevant to us in the Western culture. It's going to be hard for us to apply this to our actual lives. And I was like, bro, what year did you write this? Like, what, what has happened? So I, I flipped to the beginning of the commentary, and he wrote it in 1996. 25 years ago, as Gen X would call the late 1900s. Yeah, don't ever say that to me. That's rude, right? We, the wor- our world was different 25 years ago. Am I right? Like, we just went through the 20-year anniversary of September 11th, and I'm watching these documentaries. I'm like, man, this, it was a different country. Different values, different level of unity, different uh, come-togetherness. And so I'm reading this, and I'm like, man, is there a more timely book right now in Scripture than First Peter, where it says, hey, are you feeling isolated? Are you feeling disconnected? Are you feeling alone? Are you feeling persecuted? Are you suffering? Then here's what it means to follow after the way of Jesus. So this is why I'm so excited to dive into this book together. See, we go through these moments of chaos and suffering, and we start to feel, um, we, we feel the squeeze. We feel the pressure of what's going on. And, and what do we do? There's a number of various ways we respond. Um, one, we disconnect and we segregate. We create our own little bubbles. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Have you been observing this and seeing this? No, we're going to surround ourselves with people who think like us, people who talk like us, people who, who behave in our way and share our values. And so we become more and more disconnected from the community around us. Or we get angry and we say, I'm ready for war. Like, like you, I'm going to protect my family, I'm going to protect my rights, I'm going to protect my way of living, and anybody who infringes on that in some way, shape, or form, I am angry and I'm ready for war with them. Or we give up and give in. We're so exhausted from the emotional toll. We're so exhausted from feeling beat down in the frustration or the anxiety and the fear is too much and it's too, too much to handle. This is what we do, yet the gospel the way of Jesus, it always offers a better way, doesn't it? And this is, this is the story of First Peter, is that he's going to offer a better way than our natural reactions of isolation and anger and surrender. He's going to say, no, what does it look like? And in this opening passage, he's going to basically walk us through three things. He's going to say, no, no, you need to be reminded of your identity. You need to be reminded of who you are, particularly who you are in Christ. Second is you need to understand the hope that we have in Christ, a hope that lies ahead. And lastly, he's going to explain that there is a deep purpose in our suffering. There is a deep purpose in our trials. God never wastes pain. So would you pray with me as we we get ready to dive into this, this book over the next seven weeks? Lord, this is a room filled with people who in one way, shape, or form are facing some trials right now. Hardship, pain, exhaustion, isolation, disconnection. Lord, would you offer us hope? Would we be a people who do not walk around with our heads down, 
like beaten dogs, tired of what we're facing. But we would be a people of peace. We would be a people of joy. We would be a people marked by hope that we would live lives of salt and light in the world and community in which we find ourselves. Lord, would you open this text to us today and open our hearts to the way your spirit wants to move in us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So where does Peter start to people who are feeling disconnected, feeling pressure, feeling beat down? Well, he's, he, rem, he says, you need to remember who you are. And, and he explains it, and he walks through. And, and this is what he says, verses three through four. It says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Christ, Jesus Christ, for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. So this is his introduction. He says, you're exiles, you're elect exiles, but then this is who you are. And he moves through. What does he say? He says, first, he says, you're chosen. God, God wanted you. He picked you. He desired you. He sought after you. He selected you. Like, that, that's hope that we should find. We're not an afterthought. You are not missed, ignored, forgotten. You are seen and wanted. You may feel alone. Your experience may say, I'm isolated. You may be like, I'm the only one. You, that's not who you are. You are chosen. Even though you feel alone, you belong to God's family, the family that, that Jesus is building. Second is you're consecrated. What that means is you're set apart in the sanctification of the Spirit. You're being made into something different. Of course you feel like an exile. Of course you look around and you're like, I don't fit in. You don't fit in. You shouldn't fit in. Because you are being made into something different. You are being sanctified, consecrated, set apart for a greater purpose. Like, man, I feel different. Good. <laughs> like, I feel like today is a day and age where you're like, I want to feel different. Like, I, I don't want to feel the same level of anger and frustration and bitterness that I see around me. Next, he says, you're called. You are called to live differently, that we would obey, walk in obedience to Jesus because God has saved you and he set you apart for a purpose. What purpose? To walk in radical obedience of a king who's worthy of our obedience. This is who you are. And we get so frustrated that people don't live according to biblical values, that people don't live in the same way, but we have a different call on our lives. I love what Mark Twain says. He says, two most important days of your life are the day you were born and the day you find out why. Some of you, some of us need to be reminded of why. Why we were born into such a moment. Why we were born into such a time. It's because we have a calling and a purpose that God wants to work out in us and through us. And then lastly, how, how does he speak to their identity? He says, you've been cleansed. All your past failures, shortcomings, sins, mistakes, they've been washed clean by Christ on the cross. He, he paid the price. This is your identity. He starts with identity. He starts with who, who they are because grasping your identity, it shapes both your internal peace and your ex external purpose. You feel that? Like, this is what you need to be reminded of. If you're feeling the pressure. You're feeling the disconnect. You're feeling like, well, why am I going through these sufferings? You need to start with, who am I in Christ? Who has God made me to be? Because it gives us a peace internally that cannot be explained, that cannot be experienced outside of Christ. But then it also gives us a purpose. It says, no, like, no, I am made for these times. I was born for such a time as this, to follow after the Lord, 
and to walk with him in these things. A, a good buddy of mine was, was spending some time with me this week, and he was telling me about this journal that him and his wife, uh, they started these two journals for their kids. Their kids are three years old and one year old. And what they do is every time they see something about their identity, they write it in this journal. Man, you were on the playground today, and you just rallied all of the other kids and invited them in. You are a leader. You are a rallier. You showed compassion to your sister. It's the first time it's ever happened in your life and may ever happen again. But you are a person of compassion, right? Just, just page after page after page of who God has made them to be and who their parents have seen them to be. And what they're going to do is that when, when their kids turn 13 years old, they're going to give them this. Because up to, from 0 to 13, you're raising a boy. From 13 on, you're raising a man. From 0 to 13, you're raising a girl. From 13 on, you're raising a woman. And, and who, who the world says they are is very contrary to who God's made them to be. You realize a lot of these fights that are taking place, they're identity battles. No, 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 this is who you are. You were born wrong. You were born different. This is, that's not who, no, who you are is who God says you are. And so Peter is writing a letter to people who are feeling disconnected, alone, beat down, and they want to give up. And he says, no, no, we need to start with your identity. We need to start with who you are. And then he moves into this idea of hope. And he says, remember that hope lies ahead. That we don't just live for the temporary. We don't just live for the moment. Look at what he writes. He says, verse 3, he says, Blessed be God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Man, I love this phrase, a living hope. I've spent most of my week studying this idea and wrestling with this idea. What, what does he mean by a living hope? Why would he say not just hope, but a living hope? He's very specific. Well, a, a few reasons. First, this idea, he says, you have been caused you to be born again. That, that is the moment in your life, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit fills you, and it says we are born again. We, we are reborn. The uh, theological term for this is regeneration. This is not something we do in ourselves. This is something that God regenerates our hearts. You, you were dead in your sin, now you're alive in Christ. It, it, Paul writes, it is not who I who live, but Christ who lives in me. There, there's a new birth that you experience. And because of being born again, you are ex- able to experience joy, peace, and hope in a different way than you were before your heart was regenerated. Okay, Anybody who has put their hope in Jesus, who has put their faith in Jesus, you know this. You've experienced it. You're like, no, I experience life differently. There is a different level of hope because what Jesus brings. And you cannot experience that same level of peace and hope without Jesus in your life. One theologian writes it like this. He says, unregenerate man somebody who has not been born again, it does not have the capacity to enjoy the hope of this inheritance. It would be like rewarding a blind man by showing him the most beautiful sunset or taking him to an art museum. 
It is, we are incapable. When you are born again, you experience life differently. Let me explain it this way. So a buddy of mine, we got in this conversation. We were, we were at a house party on Friday. And, uh, you know, a housewarming, you're kind of walking around, see, you know, seeing this new build and all the different rooms. And, and uh, you know, we end up walking into, you know, we're in like the master bedroom. And, and I see him and, you know, I'm like, hey, what's up, man? And we have this conversation. I'm like, hey, I know you just went on a trip. Tell me about it. You had this backpacking trip. I want to I hear about it. And he, and he looks at me and he says, I have never experienced Jesus like this ever in my life. Now, when somebody says that and you're a pastor, you're not like, cool, let's go get some punch and chips. Like, you know, you're like, I'm like, explain. Like, what are you, like, what are you, like, what are you, we're standing at the foot of their bed. Like, tell me this story, right? People are walking through and he just starts walking me through. He's like, man, I, at one point, uh, we, we all isolated and we got alone and I'm sitting at the shore of this lake. And, and we were asking this question, Jesus, what do you want of me? Jesus, what do you want of me? Now, we all want to hear from God, but we never get alone and isolated to hear from God. We never get quiet to hear from God. We have like our AirPods in, and we're like, I don't know why God doesn't, you know, communicate with me these days, you know? It's because Aerosmith. That's why, like, like, put it away. Get silent. And so he says, uh, he says in this moment, I, I just immediately feel God pressing on my heart. Jesus is like, I want you to sing to me. And he's like, well, I shouldn't have had that chili last night because that's not, that was not the Lord. Like, he doesn't want me to, he likes me. He doesn't want me to sing to him. And, and, and so he sits and he, he says, okay, God, what, Jesus, what do you want of me? And he says, sing to me. And so he starts like in his head going through these lyrics and kind of humming. And he's like, no, 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 sing to me. So he says he stands up and he stands on the shore of this lake. And immediately he starts looking around at how close the other dudes are that he's with. Like, you know what I'm talking about? Right? I don't want to ruin their trip. You know? and, and he says he just feels the Lord saying, no, 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 sing to me. Not then. And he says he just starts singing amazing grace to Jesus. And he says as he walks in obedience in that moment, every line that comes out of his mouth, he gets this clear message from Jesus of who he is and how he loves him. And and my buddy's telling me this story. And I'm sitting there and this weird thing, like this liquid starts like pooling in my eyelids, right? And he starts crying. He's crying. I'm, I'm crying. There's this party going. We're hugging in the bedroom. People are like, what is happening? Like, I spill my beer. I mean, my cold brew. You know, like, what is happening right now? Like, it's a moment. I was so moved. Why? Because he is experiencing Jesus in a way that you can only experience when the Holy Spirit is in your life. There is a living hope you can experience in Jesus, but only if you put your faith in him. Only if you surrender to him. But if you do, then you will. You will experience it. Our living hope means that we have power for today's trials. We have purpose in today's sufferings, and we have an inheritance that lies ahead. That's what a living hope is, because it's rooted in Jesus and Jesus alone. And what, what, what does Peter say here? So he connects it to through the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the dead. You, it, you know that it tells us in Scripture that the same power, the same spirit that rose, raised Christ from the dead lives in you. That is the power that we have to face the trials of today. We see Jesus and his suffering. Was Jesus' suffering in vain? No, it was not. There was deep purpose in it. Is your suffering in vain? No, it's not. There is deep purpose in it. That is living hope. And lastly, it's an inheritance that lies ahead. 
It's something to come. We have to understand that. Our living hope, it's anchored in the past. Jesus rose from the dead. It continues in the presence because Jesus is alive and it endures throughout the future because Jesus promises eternal resurrection and a day to come. See, we, we need hope for today, but we also need a promise for tomorrow. Hope is something that lies ahead. Hope is something that you can look forward to with certainty. And in order to have true hope, we actually have to look forward to the promises that Jesus has made for tomorrow. Charles Spurgeon, Prince of Preachers, this is what he says. He says, it is called a living hope because it's imperishable. Other hopes fade like withering flowers. The hope of the rich, the boasts of the proud, the power of kings, all these will die out as a candle when it flickers in the socket. There is no unwaning hope beneath the changeful moon. The only imperishable hope is that which climbs above the stars and fixes itself upon the throne of God and the person of Jesus Christ. We need a hope that lies ahead. And this is what Peter then explains. He explains what this inheritance is. He says it's imperishable. You know what that means? It means it cannot die. It's undefiled. It means it cannot be spoiled or ruined. It is unfading. It cannot disappear or become lessened by your sin or your failures or where you fall short. And it is kept in heaven. And you know who protects it? God himself. It actually says that he protects you. He guards you so that you can come to the inheritance of Jesus Christ, of the promise that is laid. The key to making it through the suffering and trials that you face, you know what it is? It's looking forward. It's looking to the other side and saying, no, 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 there's a promise that, that is imperishable. It is undefiled, it is unfading, and it is kept in heaven. Think of it this way. So back in January, I started running, right? Um, how many of you guys love running? Like, raise your hand. Like, if you guys are like, yeah, I, like, I love running. Okay, like, sorry, I like never trust you people, right? <laughs> running is not something to be enjoyed. It is a trial to be endured. Am I right? <laughs> like, holy smokes. Like, I, I'm like, I start running. I'm like, do I have, like, do I smoke, like, camel cigarettes every day? Like, what is wrong with my lungs? Like, this is terrible. I'm like huffing and puffing. And so I have this hill. And, I, and it's a, where I go running, it's a series of hills. And at the very end, the steepest, largest hill that your eyes could imagine or that I could imagine is at the end. It may not even be the steepest, but that's when I, it's the most tired, okay? Like, that's the tiredest hill of all. I get to there, and I'm like, I'm not doing it. So the first handful of times I would run, I'd get to the bottom of that hill, and I'm like, you know, like, I think I'm good. Like, I like my life. I'm content. I, my identity's in Christ. I'm going home. Like, I'm going to go have a Snickers bar. All right? So I, I go back down the hill and I go to my house. And uh, maybe the fifth, sixth, 50th time, I don't know what it was. I get to the bottom of that hill and I was like, I'm, like, I'm going to make it to the top. Like, I'm running to the top of this hill. It's happening. And so I do. Like, I go to the top and I get to the top and I'm huffing and wheezing and breathing. And at the very top is this, like, rock. It's this giant boulder, and it has this flat top to it, right? And so I just walk up to it with both, I don't know why, it just, you know, spirit was moving. I walk up to it with both hands and just like smack the rock as hard as I can. It was like this satisfied, like, yes, like I made it, right? Like, I, can't, I just like imagine people seeing me, like, 
you know, like neighbors calling the cops, like cops showing up, like, yeah, we got a 5150. He's a guy wandering around, breathing hard, slapping rocks, like, I'm going to need some backup, you know? That's me, right? And so I go back down and, you know, go. And so the next time, the next day I go running, I get to the bottom of the hill, and I have this urge in me. I was like, I want to go slap that rock. And in order to slap that rock, I have to get up to the top of this hill. So I'm like, I'm going to go slap the rock. And then the next time I start my run, and as soon as I start my run, I'm like, I'm slapping the rock. Like, and I start telling my wife this. And so I'm like, hey, I'm going to go running. She's like, slap the rock, right? She doesn't know where it looks like. It doesn't, she knows nothing about it. But it's, it's this moment where now when I'm running, I'm no longer thinking about like the cardiac arrest that I'm experiencing because I'm so out of shape. I'm thinking about that rock. I'm thinking about what lies ahead. This is the Christian walk. We cannot be so focused on the pain and the trials and the sufferings that we are enduring in the moment that, that we're zooming on those. We have to look ahead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and kept for you in heaven. You know what that inheritance is? It's the person of Jesus himself. Why do we endure? Because Jesus is at the end. Why do we suffer? Because Jesus is at the end, and he will not let you down. We need to look ahead. That's our hope. So is it a living hope that applies for today? You better believe it is. But that can't be all it is. It has to be something that lies ahead. And we, when we start to orientate our lives, it enables us to live without despair as we encounter suffering and trials in this present life. Why? Because now suffering has purpose. God is doing something in and through us. This is what Peter writes in verse 6. He says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the testing, tested genuineness of your faith, more precious then gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Look at that word there. It's highlighted at the top, if necessary. Meaning that, that it's necessary for you to go through the trial you're facing. If you are facing a trial right now, a hardship, it was necessary in your life. For what? for God to make you who he's making you into. It's a testing of your faith. It's a revealing of your faith. It's a refining of your faith. You're, you're going through something right now, and you would not be the person that God has called you and is making you to be on the other side of it if you did not go through this. We're tested to reveal our faith and purify it. When I say, when it says, talk, talking about this idea of the, revealing the genuineness of it, it's not so that God can see their genuineness. No, he knows. Like, he knows our faith. Who's it revealing the genuineness of our faith to? Our, ourselves. It, it's how we know. Like, man, do I really trust in Jesus? Is, is my life really built upon him? Or are those just words, fluffy words, when things are easy and nice? Like, this is the moment to trust in Jesus. This is the moment to walk in obedience. This is the moment to turn to him in prayer. This is what you need. And, and, and oftentimes when we look around, God is working so individually in all of our lives. And so, so somebody's suffering here. So I feel like this is a season where like he just hit command all and he's like, nope, trial for everybody. Like 
Like earlier, he, was, he did a hard reboot, but he promised he wouldn't do, you know, the whole flood thing again. So this time he's like, just, you know, let's just batch this together. Everybody needs some suffering because these people are broken and messed up. And he's refining us together in this moment. And we need it. Like our, our faith needs it. We, we have some things that need to be worked out in our lives. And this is how God is choosing to do it. A handful of years ago, I went to this new restaurant. It's not around anymore. You'll find out why, but it's not around anymore um, over by Ikea. And I was so excited when I saw it because it serves fried chicken sandwiches and brats. And I was like, Lord, you are good and your mercies endureth forever. Like, that that was just like, I I went in and I was just like, give me the menu. Like, I would like the menu, please. Like, don't mishear me. Like, I want everything, right? So I'm I'm scanning it and they had this fried chicken sandwich, which I like love a good fried chicken sandwich. Like, if I go to a new place, I want to know what their fried chicken sandwiches, and so I get it, and this was like divine. I'm telling you, like, like I grew up with a mom that like burnt chicken, right, so I just thought chicken was like some kind of punishment, dry, like, you know, like suffer through this, um, and it was so moist and so tender. It was so good. I got about halfway through. I was like, I want to know what is in this sandwich, because this is like, it's, it's unbelievable, and I opened it up, and, and I, fi- I found out why it was so tender. Okay, like trigger warning. Um, you're going to see something gross. This is my food, okay? See that pink hue? Like that's raw chicken. That's like uncooked. I was like, you know, like I'm, I'm good for a medium rare here and there. But like this is like still clucking at me. Like it laid an egg halfway through. Like what is, and I literally, I look at it and I freaked out. I was like, I, my first thought is like, am I going to die? Like is this how I go? Like, is this, is this it? And so I go to the front counter, and I, I grab an employee. I'm like, hey, can I, I really need to talk to a manager. And he's like, I'm a manager. I'm like, can I, like, talk to you over here? And I open it, and he goes, <gasps> like, gaps in it, which don't do that when somebody shows you what they just ate. Like, I don't care who you are. <laughs> like, and, and I look at him, and I just get scared, and I just go, what's going to happen to me? <laughs> I literally had no idea. I just was like, I just reverted to a childlike fear and wonder. Like, and he starts explaining salmonella, you know. I'm like, I don't even like salmon. Like, what are you talking about? Like, you know, and it's just, and I kid you not, his solution, he's like, hey, man, here, take a Gatorade, right? <laughs> Talk about self-medication. We just know how to treat things these days. You know, here's a Gatorade. That, that'll, that, that'll, you know, that, that'll kill all the bacteria. But wh- why is it so dangerous? Because it's undercooked. There are things in there that need to be removed, need to be, so many of us, we have undercooked faith, all right? You feel me on that? Like, like we have things that need to be worked out in our lives that that, that cannot happen without a trial, and and we go around and we wonder why we're malnourished, and we wonder why we're, you are facing a trial maybe you've never endured before. Some of you guys are facing a relational trial where there is tension and pain and disconnect with family members loved ones, friends, coworkers, that you, you've, man, I've never experienced this level of disconnect from people. It seems like every time we get together, every time this topic or subject gets brought up, we end up fighting. Some of you guys are experiencing a trust trial where you're like, like, maybe I can't trust people the way that I once thought I could. Maybe I can't trust people in authority or people leading me or people who said they cared for me in the way that I previously could. Some of you, many are experiencing a health trial where you or a loved one is facing all kinds of health complications like never before. There's many parenting trials. Like you weren't planning on this, 
like all of a sudden everybody's like a homeschool teacher and you're not really sure what it's going to look like. I saw this meme last year when everybody started homeschooling. It was like day one of homeschooling. Two kids got suspended for fighting and a teacher got fired for drinking on the job. You know, like we just weren't ready for it. Like we're, we're facing these and there's a, lo- or a loneliness trial where you're like, man, like I, I've never experienced loneliness like I am right now. I don't know what your trial is. I don't know what it feels like to be you, to face the decisions you're facing, to have the discussions that you're having. But I know that God is not going to waste it, that your trial, it has a purpose. He wants to reveal some things about your faith, and he wants to strengthen and build up and purify and refine. I love what Tolkien wrote in the first book of The Lord of the Rings. Frodo and Gandalf are having a conversation. Frodo says, I, I, I wish it need not have happened in my time. Anybody feeling that right now? Like, man, like, couldn't this have happened in the late 1900s? <laughs> I wish it need not have happened in my time. And Gandalf said, so do I. And so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what we do with the time that is given us. And so we're facing some hard things right now. Communally, as a country, as a world, as individuals, as families. And we don't get to decide what comes our way. All we get to decide is what we do with such time. You know what? You know what the, the devil, you know what the enemy wants for you in this season? He wants you to be disconnected and isolated. He wants you to be angry and vulgar. He wants you to be depressed and filled with fear. And many of us, if we look at our lives, we're like, that's kind of what marks it right now. That's not what God wants for you. That's what the enemy wants for you. You know what God wants? He wants your faith to be revealed and purified so that it may result in praise, glory, and honor on the day that Christ is revealed. That's the beautiful promise that Peter is laying out for us right here. You guys, you know what the greatest thing that you can give God in this moment? It's a simple childlike faith and surrender. Like that's precious to him. That in your trial and in your suffering, you would look at him and say, I trust you. I'm gonna walk with you. I'm gonna put my faith in you. I'm gonna be obedient to you. It is precious to God. I think about my little girl, Nova. I'm so excited to see what she becomes. She's five years old. She talks about being a teacher or a veterinarian. Or I, I, and I don't know. And I mean, she's going to get jobs and she's going to you know, have kids and there's going to be all these wonderful things. But, but there's something I'm experiencing right now that I feel like will be more precious than any of those. It's, she has this way of expressing her love to me. She draws these pictures of her and I. And, and, and she puts them on my nightstand or she'll put them on my desk or she'll put them in my car. And uh, I, I grabbed one last night I wanted to show you guys. And uh, so first of all, I grab it and I'm bringing it to the car. And she's like, what are you doing with that? I was like, I'm going to use it tomorrow during a sermon. And she goes, I'm going to be rich, you know. <laughs> so we've been health and wealthing at home. It's like a good, you know, gospel ta- tactic. But she was so excited about it. And I, I just, I, I want to make some observations about the brilliance of this picture. First of all, so this is me and Nova and we're having a tea party, Right? Can we acknowledge my tea pouring skills? Like, look at that. 
like in one cup and it just dribbles into the others. Yeah, yeah. She didn't imagine that. That's how good I am at pouring tea. You're welcome. Uh, second of all, uh, it's Christmas, apparently, um, because, you know, as soon as the rain comes out, it's Christmas. Uh, but also, um, if you notice, we're cats. I am a cat. I have a tail and ears. I'm like, I thought you liked me, sweetie, right? Like, like that's the one creature Satan created, and now I, that, like, I get to be a cat, right? This is precious to me. You know why? Because it tells me that Nova loves spending time with her dad. She wants to be with me, and she wants to be around me. It tells me that her favorite animal, being a cat, she can picture me being her favorite animal, which I have to interpret as a compliment, and so do you. (laughs) But more than anything, what it says to me is she thinks about me. She sits down with a pen and a piece of paper, says, imagine anything in the world. And for some reason, she imagines sitting down, having tea with her dad. I don't care what job she has. I don't care what she accomplishes in life. I don't care about her failures, her mistakes, her successes. I don't care how much money she makes. I don't care how courageous. I don't care about any of that in light of having a daughter who loves me and wants to spend time with me and thinks about me. It is precious to me. This is how one theologian translates this passage. He says, when Jesus reaps all, wraps all this up. It's your faith, not your gold, that God will have on display as his victory. You know what God puts on his nightstand at night? Is these little pictures, these little moments of you saying, I trust you. Not all your failures, not all your successes. It's these moments of faith. This is an opportunity we have to say, God, I trust you more than the brokenness around me. I love you more than the pain around me. I I follow you more, no matter the cost, whatever it takes. This is what God is doing in this season. And so as we walk through a season that we feel pressure, we feel exiled, we feel alone, we feel confused, we feel hurt. What does God want for us in this season? He He wants to rid us of all our false identities that he could name us, that he could remind us that he chose us, that he consecrated us, that he called us and he cleansed us. This is who you are in Christ. Second, he wants us to live with hope. Not any hope, but a living hope. Hope for today. Power for today's trials. Purpose in today's sufferings. An inheritance that lies ahead. And lastly, that this would be a season that would not be wasted but this would be a season to refine ourselves, that we would mold, he could mold, shape, and refine us into the image of his son, Jesus. God, we are so grateful that you care about us, that our small acts of faith and trust are precious to you. And somehow, in some way, it brings you glory and praise and honor. And when we stand before you and we reach that moment where our hope is realized, Lord, I want to have a lot of pictures to lay at your feet. I want to have a lot of moments of faith and trust to lay at your feet. 
And so, Lord, would you do this work in us, that we would be a people who are marked by peace. We are people that are marked by joy. We are people that are marked by hope. And may we be a light that shines bright in the darkness around us because of the hope and purpose and identity that we have in you. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I want want to encourage you as we transition into worship. Uh, Some of you guys are facing some hardships right now. You know what would be honoring to God? If you would bring that to him in prayer. Maybe you're feeling confused or angry. Maybe you're like, I'm becoming somebody I don't want to become. We have brothers and sisters in the back of the response room. They would love to just pray with you and pray for you. Second, if you are a follower of Jesus, we come to the Lord's table every week to remember because we are a people built upon the cross and we are people whose hope is found in the resurrection. And so we remind ourselves that his body was broken so that we may be made whole. And this is why we take the bread. And we remind ourselves that his blood was poured out that we may be washed white as snow. This is why we take the cup. I just want to encourage you. Maybe come with a spouse or a friend or a stranger and remind each other of Christ's sacrifice and come to the Lord's table together. But ultimately, we serve a Jesus who is worthy of our worship. Amen. He is worthy of our pictures. He is worthy of our faith. He is worthy of our words. And like my friends, standing at the shore of that lake, would you sing to him with all of your might and vigor because he is worthy of your voice. Would you stand with me as we worship?